0: Welcome to Art of the Float, where float centers thrive. This is our weekly podcast where we share our stories of starting and running our float centers, and we love it when you join us to work together on raising our education level on building, marketing, and running our float centers on this show. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Art of the Float. Visit artofthefloat.com to find show notes, links, and pictures from every episode. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Dylan. I own The Float Shop in Portland, Oregon, with my wife, Sandra Kalm, and oh gosh you know what we don't have any co-hosts here tonight uh, that's right amy and brian are taking a much deserved break this week and it's just me solo today we've got the second episode or second part of the colin episode some more great content there from colin i know he does go into the fta on this one uh, he was part of that uh, discussion so he has got some information on that and uh and then some stuff on float away and the some of their business stuff that they've got going on some new cool stuff i do want to take a moment and thank our patreon subscriber megan johnston for signing up and at the level well, you'll be getting a thank you card in the mail as well i hope you enjoy the pictures that are available on the patreon page uh you get access to all the ones that we've released so far patreon.com forward slash art of the float is where you guys want to go to check that out uh october 1st we'll be releasing the jessica photo set i don't know if everybody knows jessica but she's definitely a been part of the float industry for quite some time. She's from Hawaii, had a float center out there for quite some time, and is now working on building a new, larger float center. Uh, she's also an acupuncturist, uses bee venom for uh, for her treatments as well. Very interesting, amazing woman. And uh, it was really fun to have people coming into Portland for the float conference and actually having people in the float industry be float models for these this uh, royalty-free photo shoot. So really cool. And I look forward to that on October 1st. And anybody gets access to those pictures who signs up at the $10 level or higher. Oh, our roundtable is coming up here. We've got another roundtable, two more this year, actually. We took a break during the float conference time, and now uh, social media marketing is the next one coming up. I believe it is on October, uh, excuse me, September 27th, and uh, this is basically about how to utilize your social media to market your brand, and... You know, identifying what your brand is is something that we've covered a lot on the show and certainly during roundtables as well. And this is also going to talk about how to uh, conserve your energy, basically, to come up with content so that you're able to do this when you're just the only person running your business, whether it's um, blog posts and social media posts, and how to actually release all that content in an effective manner, um, come up with uh, or introduce you to software that can make a lot of sense for social media and make it easier for you. And the idea of creating original content for your social media so that it's not just reposting, retweeting, copying, pasting, coming up with original content in an effective manner, including utilizing your staff, which has historically been something very scary for Amy and myself. And it really can be done and uh, can be extremely effective for you, your energy level, and for raising your business's marketing prowess. So check it out. Uh, let's see here. Before we move on, I want to also mention Float Helm, of course. Float Helm, the software that's built from the ground up for float centers. And, you know, it's got so many features. I feel like I've, I've mentioned all of them, yet only a few pop up every single time. The one that's meant a lot to me recently is simply the logbook. Uh, this is something that's so simple, yet it's not in most pieces of software that you've got running unless you have Float Helm, which is simply... You know, you don't work a nine to five. That's the job that you left beforehand. Maybe you'd have company meetings once a month or you'd have a company meeting, um, you know, every Monday for a small company. You might all get together and have a discussion. Well, float centers are open for Large number of hours during the daytime shifts are broken up for only a few people are on staff at a time It's hard to get everybody in the room Logbook means that you're just able to have an ongoing conversation throughout the week throughout the weekend. Everything means um, I say something on Monday. Somebody else comes in on Tuesday. They have something to add to a comment that I made Um, You know projects really do happen and continue because of logbook and everybody's just able to stay on the same page It's also a great place to keep up the vibe and energy of your float center just because people are talking about the positive experiences that they've had with clients or stories that people have shared uh, while inside our building. And so, you know, you might only get one or two of those during a shift. But when you log into Logbook and Float Helm, you're able to see everybody else's as well. And it's really good for the vibe internally of the float center as well. Floathelm.com is where you want to go to check that out and uh, schedule a free tour of the software as well. It it certainly couldn't hurt and uh, it's really nice to see how effective Floathelm will be for your business. Floathelm.com is where you want to go. So I am here all by myself, Amy and Brian taking the night off. Again, very well deserved, good for them. And I think the only thing that I wanted to talk about for my week is actually something that uh, happened a little, I think, Gosh, maybe we're coming up on two months ago uh, where we installed what's called a ninja fan to our isopod float tank. So let me back it up a little bit. Isopod is our newest float tank at the our float center. We've got four float tanks. And the one thing that we found is that it gets a little bit uh, stuffy in there at the very end of the float personally i'm i'm pretty easy when i float i don't notice it but enough customers brought it up that we knew it was an issue we we reached out to isopod and they gave us some effective tips on how to modify the room itself um, make sure you know humidity airflow things like that were um, in a manner consistent so that the inside of the float tank would have the best experience possible well uh we didn't have the means to modify the the factors of the room itself uh, So what we decided to do was try out this ninja fan made made by mandala And what it is is it's a tiny little fan. Well tiny. It's a, it's a few inches by a few inches wide and it's almost Completely silent. I mean even when you when you plug this thing in it's you, you don't hear it running so the idea is it pulls air out of your float tank creating airflow with, um, excuse me, it uh, brings fresh air into the float tank, pulls humidity out, and it doesn't. I use the word flow and I wanted to stop because what you don't feel is air blowing down onto you. You don't feel that airflow. So that's, um, that's the concept. I reached out to Luke and he had the brilliant <laughs> idea of letting me try this out for free. I think I paid for shipping, I think is all at the, uh, the risk of me reviewing it on, uh, on the show. And so that was a little, little nerve wracking for me since it's, um, I, I, you know, there's only a few companies creating uh, float technology specifically for the float industry. So to to get something in and have to give it a bad review definitely made me nervous. But it's something he really wanted to try. He believed in the product or believes in the product. And the good news is I really love it. I, it's actually incredibly effective. And it's a lot simpler than I even thought it was going to be. So... Uh, basically there's this little blowhole on top of the isopod like a little little dolphin blowhole or whale blowhole and um, you pop out the existing grill that's in there you pop in a tube uh, that goes to the mandala fan and you plug it in you walk away and you don't think about it again there's certainly a maintenance uh, protocol for it that you're supposed to use to keep it clean Um, we haven't cleaned ours yet and there's no sound coming through so um you know, most fans, computer fans, there's some kind of a noise, and so, like in our floatarium, you push a button to turn a fan on and off if you want airflow into your float tank. Well, um, that's all good and well, but it doesn't. Uh, you you have to think about it. It's part of the tour. There is sound that comes in with a ninja fan. It's been awesome because. Our clients don't even know that it's there, so it's not something that has to. They have to think about. It's not part of the tour, and they just have a consistent float the entire time. It's just moving enough air that again, there's not, you know, air moving across your skin, and that humidity gets pulled out. So honestly, it's it's kind of brilliant. I love it. It's simple. It's cheap enough that it's like a way better decision for us to do this rather than big modifications of our float rooms themselves. So uh, it's. It's been awesome uh, to the fact to the point of we are actually going to order another one for our flotarium float tank so like I said there's buttons for it it's part of the tour now somebody doesn't have to go oh it's stuffy I should push this button instead constant air being pulled out they don't know it exists and they get the perfect consistent float every single time so this time I'll be putting my money where my mouth is and actually paying full price so that I can get that in floatarium because it, it just makes that much sense for us to improve the client experience. And it's at a price point where it, it's a bit of a no brainer for us. So uh, thanks to Luke who actually I got to meet at the float conference too. I thought he was a really cool guy. I liked him quite a bit, him and his team. It's always nice when you're doing uh, business with people that you like. So that was um, nice for me as well. Uh, but uh, even so uh, just the fact that the technology is so good um, and really also cool that technology is being made specifically for our industry is really fun uh, to me that that's it's really happening Our, our industry is arriving Uh, You know, it wouldn't uh, be fair for me not to mention. uh, I believe it's MondalaFloat.com is where you want to go to take a peek at these things. Uh, They do make float tanks as well, but if you're interested in the Ninja Fan, just click on that button on the upper right, and uh, you can see what these things look like and how they work, all that stuff. And uh, thanks to Luke, thanks for setting that up. I really appreciate it, and I'm so happy I get to give a positive review on it. I truly am in love with it, and I I assumed I would also be listening. uh, Excuse me, listing the critical. Components of this as well. What doesn't work well for us, I honestly don't have any negative feedback. Which, uh <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I wish I had something to say just so that you could tell that this is an honest review because it's my first time giving a, a review of a you know a product that somebody has donated to us for a review. But it's great. I love it, and I encourage anybody who's having issues uh, with their float room or excuse me, float tanks humidity to to check this out or at least talk with Luke to see if it can work out for them. And it also it modifies for different uh, float tanks. Whatever you're using, there are these little modifiers that he'll send to you specific for your float tank. So it'll it'll definitely work for your float tank before it arrives at your center. You'll, you'll know. I think that's all I've got. It's a little different without uh, Amy and Brian here, a little banter back and forth. Hopefully I've been a little entertaining for you guys. I know who will entertain you is definitely Colin. He is Always a pleasure to talk with. Very fun, and uh, he had no uh, no holding back again in part two of our interview with Colin. Again, very intelligent man. Very um, good insights on the FTA, and uh, also more information on what's coming out with Float Away, what what they've been up to. So really cool. A lot to learn. And please enjoy our inter- part two of our interview with Colin. You, you mentioned the FTA. I would like to transition a little bit sure. to the FTA. You were you in the. Uh... FTAs
1: Yeah we, we we are members of the FTA we joined a couple of years ago uh sort of in principle mm-hmm. my attitude to the FTA has really swung round like a compass needle at this conference ah. because ah. it has changed uh, dramatically as you, you you may have seen reported um, so just just I think, uh,
0: to cover that real quick um yeah, there sure. was a, an FTA what would you call it a two-hour meeting for, the, uh, there for was. the members of the FTA, and then just or excuse me, well, the, um, or the anybody board. who wanted to go, of yes, course. But yeah, thank you. Yeah, and uh, and it did. It got heated. There was a lot. It of- got heated,
1: and we know now that the board of the FTA has increased considerably with some very significant people joining, mm-hmm. because I think, quite honestly, they're joining because the threat of the, of the CDC has suddenly woken everybody up mm-hmm. that actually this this could get serious. Mm-hmm. And the general view is that a, a industry body such as the FTA will be listened to far more than any individual, whether they're an academic or a manufacturer or whatever. The FTA, they'll say, oh, well, this is a body of people who are, all have the same opinion, mm-hmm. and this is a considered, voted-upon opinion. I hope it will be voted upon. Mm-hmm. The FTA really needs to um, get a secretariat together because... There are lots of things that have been happening, there's no record of them, there's been votes with no record of it, no one knows what the budget is, no one knows how much money they've got. That, that I mean, I think I speak for the group that was there, there's a general feeling that it it needs to up its act in those, those respects, mm-hmm. but in particular, it needs to um, represent the views of the membership, increase the membership, I really do hope, that uh, we all basically now support the FTA Mm. and have our say. I mean, uh, I I don't think any organization is perfect, and the FTA board members kind of recognize that things have been going too slowly. They haven't got the tests done that are obviously required for peroxide. And I would like to see them also take on board these other psychological issues because Mm. another one I'd like to mention is that a corollary of what I'm saying is that... um, If a centre in the future wants to become a clinical centre, and I hope they will, I I really believe in the hybrid kind of idea that a commercial centre could have some of its people coming for clinical reasons, being monitored Mm -hmm. by clinicians or Mm -hmm. researchers. Hmm. uh, That's where the float-away portal comes in. And that that's not going to be possible without some trained staff. And so I've I've raised the question uh, and we're kind of thinking about it in background conversations. Is there um, a qualification in the States right now that would be just the kind of person you'd want to have in a float center to handle anxious people? Mm-hmm. Or could it be done, I've heard towards this view, could be done by a simple training course. So that any float center operator would be able to go on a training course, I don't know two weeks, I don't know, what and Mm -hmm. uh, pass a certification process. And it's to do with understanding the kind of issues that might come up if you start having anxious people Mm -hmm. wanting to float. I don't think it's, you know, I don't want to use cliches, it's not um, super difficult. I mean, we can all imagine the kind of thing. It just means having some idea of what can happen, what the right procedures, for example, training people with some breathing exercises Mm -hmm. and so on before they get in the float, having a video that explains exactly what's going to happen to them so they Mm -hmm. feel in control of the situation, having the right equipment, which uh, I think is going to be an open float pool, Mm -hmm. Uh, but uh, maybe not. Mm -hmm. And then having a follow-up process so that someone is monitoring what's going on Mm -hmm. and can intervene if there's any sign of panic happening.
0: Now, you're you're talking about... Uh, clinical, but you, aren't we also talking about people who are self-diagnosed? So you're saying even people—well, exactly. Who are the danger is that as well? w- way
1: ahead of the clinical model, which I would love to see happen. And you—you you, you probably know we talked about Sweden briefly. Uh, that, mm-hmm. that we all went to—we went to the uh, uh, Sandra, Swedish conference. There That's where area. I met Sandra. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Peter was there. Uh, Graham and Ashkan mm-hmm. were there, for example. And the Swedish model is all clinical. Um, hmm. Because of the research that was going on at the time in Karlstadt University, there are many float centers per head of population, more than anywhere else in the world, and they're all referred to by doctors. So that the people in those float centers take a training course and an exam, and they're certified to be capable of doing um, dealing with people with ah. back pain or whatever it is. Okay. So... Um, hmm. I think there's a lot we could learn from that because they have a curriculum. I don't think it's too onerous. I mean, we're not talking about doing a two-year degree or something. Uh So as you were saying, ahead of all that happening, which I do hope happens, and I'm hoping that we're going to supply some equipment for this, but ahead of that, we are going to get people seeing in the papers because these papers are going to get published. I'm sure some journalists will pick up. I wish there were more journalists at the conference, but the Mm -hmm. journalists will pick this up and we're going to see this in magazines. Wow, we can deal with some Mm. PTSD. We can deal with anxiety. We can deal with veterans, you know, all this stuff that we've been talking about. It's all good news, but if people self-diagnose and go into float centers and it hasn't been recognized as an issue, can you imagine how the bad news travels if one person is seen to be panicked by the situation mm-hmm. and that gets into the press mm-hmm. we don't want that I mean we don't want that for the individual we don't want
0: it for the industry I think almost the first the first thing would just be awareness that this can happen so if the awareness does, does uh, witness this they don't freak out themselves I'm very
1: happy to be able to talk about it here because we we've only really become aware of that in the last few weeks. I'm mean, talking to Debbie, and it's only happened. Mm. I bet there yeah. has not been such an incident in the many years of floating experience, because normally,
0: anxious person would just not come to a float center. Mm. Because and, and did you ever tell us what exactly happened? What uh, did did the did the person scream from the room? Did they come running out? What what actually happened? Because Debbie knows what she's doing,
1: mm-hmm. she recognize the symptoms of a person who is panicking
0: before they got into before the water. before the water
1: this is not panicking after they got in the water mm-hmm. the, uh, the I, no I can't say there's evidence but we might suppose that if they manage to get into the water <laughs> they they're down. gonna feel okay and mm-hmm. it's going and it's gonna be good the problem is that they brought themselves with some kind of effort to the float center mm-hmm. and then suddenly they realize rather like going on stage or something you know it sounds like a nice idea (laughs) and then you then you realize as you walk you you're getting the symptoms that Justin described very well you know your heart starts beating your mouth goes dry and this will happen to an anxious person as they get closer to taking their clothes off and they suddenly think I can't do this Mm -hmm. now the person helping them through it first of all they should have had some induction which all would, we all would hope would be true of any first time floater, of what to expect and to maybe some breathing exercises to get into the mood of the thing and to explain what control they have and that they don't have to stay in the water longer than they want to and all that kind of stuff into the solution, I meant to say. Um, I don't think it's a huge deal that we all take on board that this is a real issue that's going to happen. And we all really, I feel, want to welcome these people. I mean, what could be better than to feel a person whose life is blighted by anxiety, coming out of a float session and saying, I've got my life back. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. that's tear-jerking stuff, isn't it? Yeah. And it makes my t- <laughs> it gets me emotional just thinking about it. We don't want to stop those people. We don't. We don't want to say, we don't want anxious people in here, quite the reverse. Mm-hmm. We want to have all those people with PTSD. We want the veterans. Uh, I'm very happy that you know Gary Ferguson is doing his thing mm-hmm. and he's going to increase the number of float tanks who are positively identifying veterans. They've got to be trained in how to deal with people and how to deal with the situations that could arise. And I would like to start that conversation, I'm not qualified as a psychologist Mm -hmm. to take it any further than that, Mm -hmm. but to Mm -hmm. say that it's been reported to me, I'm worried about it, Mm -hmm. I think that that's where we should be putting our public health Mm -hmm. thinking hats on and saying
0: how are we gonna deal with it? Well, outside of regulation, I do, you're just speaking about something I'm very passionate about, how we bring people into the float and how we Absolutely. make them comfortable is something that right. has always meant a lot to me. And we have brought we brought a friend floating years ago uh, who, during their introduction, which was not at our business, I will point that out, uh, they were told that the float tank they were getting to was haunted. Uh, so, I mean, that I think would be the exact opposite end of, of being very careful about how you're bringing somebody in. I think that was a very sloppy, uh, un- insensitive Absolutely. way, to, way I, to do it. and. I, I, just like how the readings on if somebody has extreme high anxiety they can get extreme benefits i think we can have the same impact with how we're bringing somebody in we can bring them closer to that kind of zero level if they're if they're uh, maybe i shouldn't run with, with run with that analogy too much but what i what i mean to say is just that we can have an impact when somebody's coming in by really painting their float into a negative 90 minutes or into a positive 90 minutes and it's uh Yes. it's something we all need to be putting t- attention on and and like you said, if we can further that discussion further with psychologists and people who deal with uh, those who do suffer from anxiety, right? Then then we can really come up with a structure that we can uniformly agree on. These are um, things, either best practices, or even take it even further, as I think perhaps you're proposing someday you are certified and you well, know how absolutely. to. Well,
1: absolutely, I I feel that I have to come off the fence of the issue of um, the idea that. Um, floating is an experience, and that you shouldn't try to tell people what to expect, you should just let them experience Mm -hmm. what they experience. Mm -hmm. And I can see the argument for that, but I think that's the argument for what we are calling normal people.
0: Hmm.
1: Who may not, you know,
0: normal's a spectrum. You and I might be more on the same page than you you might know.
1: I feel that uh, I have to come off the fence and think, no, actually, you do need induction, um, there's obviously the danger you're trying to put a positive um, propaganda into people's heads that so they're going to get something out. And we certainly should never promise things that we can't deliver. That's been made clear. You know, we, we, we're we never talking about anything more than see what happens to you, whether you like it and all those kind of things. But I do think we have got to think about the preparation in terms of the breathing, as I've said, mm. A video, probably, we, we've been very bad, I must say, at preparing these kind of videos. We keep talking about it. And now we really
0: must do it. I, I know video that, is good for, for it being exactly Take the people same through time.
1: what's gonna to happen
0: to them so that they can calm down in advance if mm-hmm. they are anxious personally not a fan of video, just so you know, I, I love the, the one-on-one, and I love our employees having those one-on-one discussions right. with people, well, personally. I mean, and absolutely, been,
1: I know that you do a fantastic job, yeah. and I'm certainly not implying any criticism of this center, no, I, but I have seen centers where they do kind of take the attitude, the float room's over there, yes,
0: absolutely. make sure
1: you read the thing, the, the waiver that we're handing you and signing because we, we don't want to be sued, mm-hmm. and that's it. There's no real empathy going on right. there's there's no talking down and there's no uh, what's the word arbitrage of, of looking at someone and recognizing actually this person is mm-hmm. a bit uh, we need to ask a few more questions this person looks anxious mm-hmm. this person looks very red in the face mm-hmm. they're breathing heavily they are not or they're avoiding not eye contact Lots, yeah, avoiding eye you know And I, I mean I, again I'm not a psychologist yeah, yeah. these things need to be done as a protocol by the right people. But it, it's only really a checklist for tra- f- mm-hmm. so that the staff welcoming people will say, just as you would if someone comes rolling drunk, you're going to say, right. okay, the, the, you, right. you're not coming in our float tank.
0: Mm-hmm. Just educating but equally, to if
1: someone is clearly anxious, we should be saying, uh, we'd like to talk a bit before you go in. That's cool. And you, I'd like you to watch this video.
0: You know, going for back, example. Going back to the idea of kind of programming people beforehand, I think Glenn and Lee have been very clear about doing as little of that as possible yeah
1: I know that's their view from John Lilly Mm -hmm. and I know I
0: I personally disagree with
1: yeah I do I had I had I I I took on board what they said and I think well let me think about that because I certainly went into a floating with absolutely no Mm. nobody telling me what to expect I mean that's my first experience way over in London I paid my money and they said the float tanks over there (laughs) Literally. And then what now, happens
0: if you get salt in your eyes? Now, well, you, you know, it, I, like
1: that. I, I didn't empathize with anybody who thought that was a scary experience because I couldn't see <laughs> that getting into water was Ryan, scary, right. you know, all those things. Mm-hmm. So it took someone to point out to me that there were plenty of other people. And then, of course, when you start trying to um, get involved in the float industry, you realize that more than half of the general population are really not happy about the idea. You get this thing saying, "Oh, I'm not sure you'll get me in there," <laughs> you know. Uh, the the word claustrophobia, which is not, um, you know, it's not clinically true, but they use the word. Mm. Or I've also had people who I thought were very successful business people say to me, "I don't want to be by myself. I don't like myself that much." And you think, mm. "Oh, oh my God, that's really? um, that, that I I have to, uh, I have difficulty empathizing with that mm. because." the people i know and in my experience i you know i quite like myself and i don't feel scared about getting into a thing which appears to have been designed for the purpose you know i'm not I'm not like taking a risk but that right but i have met lots of people now i have um uh who are in that class you think well they're living a normal life but they tell me i don't want to be by myself mm-hmm. in the dark mm-hmm. so those are the very people, of course, who we think are going to get the most benefit right, if we course. can get them in the float Amen. tank. Amen. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's rather wonderful if the float tank can be of such wonderful assistance to those people that I can't. I I think I'm confident to say that's more than half the population are in that class, mm-hmm. who we normally are never going to see in a float centre because mm-hmm. they just wouldn't go. Yeah. You give them a gift of a float, they won't come. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But maybe if they have enough, you know, support and encouragement, then maybe they'll say, oh, actually, well, I'll try it. Mm -hmm. And certainly if the doctor says, I think it might help you in your situation and get you off your pain meds or whatever
0: it is, wouldn't that be wonderful? Uh, So I, giving an intro, I like to cover physical and physiological things that have been measured through research. Right. um, More the mental, emotional, spiritual portion, I like to... Depending on who the person is, talk a little bit about that. And usually I, I try to use my own anecdotal Gosh, bit, yeah. pieces in there. Do you feel like that's okay to go that far? Or do you think it should be reeled back and maybe just some of the physical, physiological, and leave the mental, emotional portion to themselves? Like as far as just programming the experience.
1: Ah, oh, well, um, I guess I think you're pushing me into an expert opinion. And I, I, oh, I'm, no, just a personal. I'm, you don't I'm, <laughs> I'm, all I can do is report. What I am hearing from very good people like Tom Fine and Justin okay. Feinstein, Debbie Worthington has a um, psychology qualification, mm. okay. and I think what we're talking about is training people to recognise the signs. I must be the first thing mm. to be a little bit more aware that some people coming in you might pick up signs that they are actually a bit anxious and need just that extra bit of care before you just say, go over there and get in the float tank. Okay. And uh, then I think people should be aware, like a first aider would be aware. I mean, years ago, we went through all this, um, you know, what do you do if someone is seriously ill in the float tank? I mean, you actually do have to have protocols. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, that's an extraordinarily rare uh, event. Mm-hmm. But when we talk about mental health, It's actually an area which, I think in physical health, for example, you're extremely unlikely to have somebody uh, get uh, some kind of serious physical condition in the float tank because they're relaxed, after all. I mean, what would you expect? We all know the biggest risk is slipping and that we must take attention that people don't slip when they're getting out, when they're wet and everything. That's the biggest risk area. But now we we talk about people who may be anxious, PTSD, PTSD, We need to think in advance, what do we do if this person gets to this point and panics? Well, A, we don't want them running in the street, right? Mm -hmm. We want to talk them down and know the right words to say Mm -hmm. to calm them back down again so that they're back in control of themselves. And as far as I understand, that's exactly what's possible. I mean, not talking about screaming hysteria. We're talking about someone who's suddenly, (gasps) you know, I'm not sure I can do this. Mm-hmm. Just as they might do if you try and get them to stand on the stage and do karaoke. You know, they might think it's a good idea <laughs> in the audience, and then as, you know, when the mic comes along, they freeze up. Yeah. That happens to me. So, I mean, it's perhaps, you know, it's being aware, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And uh, I do feel it's something we have to pay attention to. I'm sure all the good float centres are doing that right now. But, but it's a little well, some, bit more. You know, it's just yeah, one, one, more, describing...
0: one more plus on mm-hmm. the checklist, mm-hmm. I think. Um, I want to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much for what you've been, everything that you've shared so far. I really appreciate it. But I, I do want to get into a few things just about yourself and your business before we go too. Okay. Um, and, <laughs> are you willing to talk about that? Yeah, I try to remember. <laughs> um, th- 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 there are a few things. One, I was actually a little bit confused about that I want to ask you about, which is um, during your presentation, you talked about, a software yes. that that you will be releasing. I don't think it's it's active yet. I no, it
1: we... isn't. A float away portal. Well, the we're, portal. we're what, what is
0: that for, and who's using okay, that? Well, it? Okay.
1: Well, the story is that we we of course have been involved in the research right. at LIBOR. and we learned a lot at that about um, data monitoring, data logging, oh, sure. um, and having more sensors than we currently have in temperature and humidity and airflow, and because of my personal interest, I want to steer, float away towards the clinical model, mm-hmm. maybe the hybrid model, because it's very interesting. I find, mm-hmm. I find the research interesting, and I find the possibility that we could be moving into a, a hospital situation where hospitals are deciding to use floating for research or for clinical. You know, We, we heard at the conference people looking at the eating disorders programs, mm-hmm. um, the veterans, of course, so um, we have to think right. What do we have to do to do that? And the answer is, you need hardware and software because we are entering the um, Internet of Things, the IoT. Internet of Things. If you're, you're, you're therefore, you're putting data out. You're putting maybe booking information. You're putting management information you're putting information about what happened in a particular float right, okay. into the Internet. If you do that, you've got to talk about encryption. Right, right. You cannot do that casually. Mm-hmm. The encryption has to be as the highest possible standard, and that's what we're taking advice on, and we think we're going in the right direction. Okay. Um, we also want to be able to interface with this uh, very clever equipment such as Ricardo's EEG mm-hmm. equipment. Mm-hmm. That has a very special technical need, which... Uh, is far from trivial. I um, mean his or program already is far from trivial mm-hmm. and Then integrating that with a data logging system on a float tank um, Is a challenge. Well, that's that's what we do. You know, it's an engineering challenge I've got some very good people back in England working on it right now We're going to be talking to Ricardo about it to cool. include that part, which is the low the low power blue um, Bluetooth aspect mm-hmm. so so what that's about is that we have to do some hardware because we need much more capability to take many, many inputs, right. temperatures. And One and of the things that uh, – sorry to interrupt you here. Yeah.
0: Oh, so, so that gets all logged. Yeah. Uh, now, if that's in a clinical situation, obviously that, that person's never going to see those numbers again. But if we talk about um, hybrid, like you mentioned, if I have somebody floating at the float shop, they have all those sensors going, they have the Neuroverse EEG meter on their forehead, are they going to have the ability to yeah. log in and because look at their own The
1: concept there for hybrid is that you, you can't imagine that you're going to have a doctor in your float center. Mm-hmm. The The whole idea of hybrid is that the clinician or the researcher is somewhere else in the world, cool. anywhere else in the world, for that matter. The subject is coming in, has been booked in through a cloud-based system, mm-hmm. booked in for clinical use, not just... Obviously, the commercial side piggybacks off that. The, the okay. commercial is true, but the clinician knows this subject is going into this float centre somewhere in the world mm-hmm. at this time. If he wants to, he can monitor the progress of that. He might be able to, he or she might be able to talk to the person advanced, with the very subject we just discussed, Mm. or they might feature a particular video Mm. with a checklist, which is going into an iPad. That information is being stored, pulled back, the pre-float condition. We then monitor the float. We know air flows, temperatures and things, all the routine stuff, which I must say, I was amazed. When we started data logging at LIBOR, we thought, well, this can be pretty boring, it's a constant temperature. Mm. But of course, it, it isn't constant, it's changing. Mm. And it's amazing how much you can infer from a very simple temperature measurement or a humidity measurement, because we, we hadn't really realized, you know, if you measure humidity in the room, when the shower goes on, mm-hmm. Instantly goes sure. to 100% humidity hmm. and then it falls gradually down. Now, that's very interesting when we're trying to do some engineering to control the air in the room. It's that information you suddenly think, wow, I can see a person having a shower. I can tell how long mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell how well the air system then copes in the yeah. immediate period after that as the humidity drops off mm-hmm. and what level it goes to. So, um, We measure, for example, the temperature of the pumps, the temperature of the heaters so that you can actually see your technology working and improve it. I mean, more data, you improve the system. You say, I don't like the cycling going on here. I want to change that. It might matter
0: where the sensors are as well.
1: Yeah, so we could probably think of multiple temperature sensors, Mm. which… It's technically trivial as long as you can handle it. As long as you can do the data logging, mm-hmm. there's no real limit to how much of that data you can c- cover. And you sure. uh, you can do clever things with it. You can, For example, you can see just from the pump temperature if the filter's getting blocked because the pump oh, works harder. Nice. And you see it on the temperature profile. I mean, it's so subtle, but it actually, if you then started to automate that with an algorithm, you could actually have a program that would say, Oh, you realise the pump's running a bit warm. You probably should change the filter. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean uh, the product
0: that you talked about—the air it yeah. pulls pulls air in—and I think um, and
1: another new product. We we recognise for open pools there is an issue with the air. It's <laughs> not really true of the
0: closed pod. Did you discover this with your sensor readouts that you realised?
1: Well, on? it's kind of obvious just from walking into a room. <laughs> if you walk into an uh, open pool room, you realise that the ceiling's pretty warm. But if you put your hand down low where the floater's head is, it's actually much cooler. And we're trying to optimize, obviously, air, temperature, and humidity down at the floater's uh, mouth. (laughs) So um, there is a technique. I didn't invent it that you use a fan duct system to suck air from the ceiling and take it down to the floor. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, you can quite rapidly correct that imbalance. And it's better for your energy balance because you're not heating the ceiling and totally Mm -hmm. waste of energy. You're balancing the air through the room. And, of course,
0: from our point of view, you're putting the air at the right temperature for the person who's floating. And, And the right air temperature for somebody floating... When you first walk into the room, you might go, Oh my God, it's a sauna in here. And you're trying to give an introduction. Yeah, that's quite true. Through your shirt. And and they're starting to sweat or take off their clothes because yeah, well, it's so damn hot. But really, just a few feet more down, it's the right temperature. Right, and, and if, so we, if it was equal, that, that sounds nice. If
1: we're really clever, we can try and get it right for the right profile. There is a mm-hmm. very interesting relationship between temperature and humidity, yes, as you know. If we we say we're aiming for a little bit lower than the water solution temperature, which let's say is 90, for example, and the water's at 95. Okay. And the humidity is
0: 80%.
1: Now, if you don't hit that ideal, if your humidity is um, high, we hope we don't do that because that's where condensation happens, Mm -hmm. you can't have the temperature too high. If the humidity is high and the temperature is high, you start feeling very stuffy. Mm -hmm. So there is an optimization there where you pull the temperature down at high humidity. Mm -hmm. Equally, if the humidity is very low, you can push that temperature up to get comfort, much closer sure. to the water temperature.
0: Now, do you feel like the humidity works as a buffer, though, that you can have more leeway when you have more humidity in the air, or do you feel like it is always a kind of a one-to-one ratio? Well, I. There is definitely an ideal. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is definitely an
1: ideal, but some people will be more sensitive to hitting that ideal than others. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm rather insensitive. I, I when I float. <laughs> I don't really care that much about some of these values, I must be honest. Yeah. I, if it's a little bit cooler, it doesn't upset me. Yeah. But I know plenty of other people. Means I can think of, dropping without dropping names, I can <laughs> think of people very close to me <laughs> who are sensitive. They say, no, well, it was a bit too cold. And I think, well, it's hardly two degrees down or something. But they know. Right. And therefore, we are trying to achieve the optimum. Why wouldn't you try to achieve the optimum? Mm-hmm at the minimum energy cost. And the, what I've mm-hmm. learned watching contractors uh, suck their teeth when you say, oh, we want 90-degree uh, air at 80% R8. Oh, that's hard yeah. because we don't want to blow masses of air through the ceiling. We want silent air heating, yes. which yes. is very easy to achieve and it isn't expensive. And then we want to make sure that air comes down. So what I did was make a corner unit, which uh, is a stainless steel steel, uh, Device that closes off a corner, turns it into a duct, it's got a fan in it, it sucks the air down to the bottom Mm -hmm. and we control that with a thermostat which is looking at the temperature at the bottom and we control the panel heaters that we put on which can be it, it can be literally white square panels, it could be ceiling panels, it can be hot rocks, it could <laughs> be heated mirrors. I've seen some wonderful work done with heated mirrors. You're we, me. No, no, not That's at incredible. all. If you heat a mirror, and it doesn't have to be a full specular mirror because you don't actually want mirrors in your float room. That's, but what you can have is, say, black glass. Oh, okay. You heat it with a heater behind. It's glass. It can take any amount of temperature. It, it works as a panel heater. But without looking like a boring panel heater, uh-huh. so, uh, or you can have a hot rock in the corner of the room—a nice oh. big, nice big boulder, or one of those nice um, salt lamps—but heated with a heater It can give a surprising amount of heat because you, the total heat going in is what counts. You don't need kilowatts of he- of air heating. Uh, the water's already trying very hard to heat the air,
0: right.
1: but it'll—it's heating the air at the same time, is creating 100% humidity. Mm-hmm. So you've got to <laughs> ventilate, so you've got to have some airflow. and you. But you don't need much airflow. You, you you want to suck the hot air down and then pull in a little bit of clean air to keep the
0: humidity down to 80%. Well, as somebody with an open flow tank, I'm interested. Right. I, I hate to make this a, a commercial, but ha- do you have a price tag on that? Because <laughs> I'm genuinely interested. Um, well, you caught
1: me out there because okay. one of the things we wanted to do at the conference is to see what people's reaction was ah, to prices. Okay. What okay. I'm thinking is that the full system with a fan and a controller and panel heaters will be around $1,000. Okay, and, But and it could be less.
0: Back. If we sell a lot of them, it'll be less. Sure. <laughs> I guess we'll know how many you sell. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. And, and the other thing that I found really fun at this conference was your, <laughs> was your inflatable float tank. That ah, the, the
1: pop-up the, float. Well... The story there is that we've gone in half and half with uh, Peter, Peter Marsh, mm-hmm. who has um, been in the float business longer than I have. Mm. And he's been nursing the idea of an inflatable float tank, as others have, I think, for a while. Mm. Until we found this material, which is called double wall fabric, an inflatable pool was really not a practical proposition. But this fabric is... Um, capable of taking massive pressure of inflation. So we can we inflate yeah. it to one atmosphere inside. So that's a tonne per square foot, roughly speaking. Wow. That's a lot of pressure yeah. in there. So it turns the fabric into a very rigid structure. So when we build uh, a pod, which was where most of the interest was in our complete pod, the, the, what we've done that's clever there is curve it. And we curve it just enough to make it feasible, and you know, and to make it work. And we had to do a few tricks of the trade with our suppliers to actually get it to achieve that. So we've been working on that quite a while, but we—I think we've done it. I think it's—I think it's a feasible thing. We're now going to uh, explore all those markets which are not normal float centers, not at all. Mm. But there's a whole range of them. What we were really caught out, for example, someone came who works in prisons, uh, visits prisons with lifers and so on. And they said, this is perfect to take into a prison. You're never going to get a fiberglass float tank in a prison. But you could do real good for people. (laughs) We hadn't thought of that one, but we had thought of obviously the floating at home market Mm -hmm. because this is it's not going to be super cheap. We're not trying to be cheap, but it's cheaper. And the great thing is that you can really carry this anywhere into a basement into an attic into a garage because it. it comes in a bag which is not bigger than a sports bag uh-huh. and you just inflate it with a hand pump. Oh is that right? And okay. then the rest of it are called water you know you need water we can heat the water with a standard technical pack. And and, and you need salt. How does the heating work? Do you have heaters underneath it or is that inline heating? We at the moment we're doing inline heating. Okay, that makes but sense. I am right now looking at the technology of um, making heaters that will work underneath mm-hmm. and the issue there is that we have to be absolutely sure those heaters don't turn on when there's no water i oh, don't okay. i don't think that's insuperable i mean we do that already but i mean we don't want to add too much cost so we want to mm-hmm. be able to absolutely detect that it's empty and not have the heaters come on and also i am very anxious the heaters, uh, I never want to have anyone tell me they got an electrical shock in my float tank. Right. So I've always gone for totally grounded metal plates surrounding the heaters, I'm not in favor of simple heaters under float tanks, mm-hmm. I, I think you're just waiting for a disaster. Okay. As soon as you have a metal plate which is grounded, you can be sure that even if uh, the, the, the whole thing is compromised and the water rushes out, you're on a grounded plate, there is no way yeah. you're going to get electrical shock. So it's basically safe. Okay. And um, so the, we're looking at whether we can do that. Where, where are the uh,
0: filtration points of contact? Like where is it pulling the water out and putting it in? I didn't see any We have to
1: do a little trick. Uh, so we don't want to have penetration of the skin under mm-hmm. the water. So we have uh, a U-tube that goes through a hole in the side above the water line, oh, down okay. into the water. Um, The trick there is that we have to be able to prime the system because these mag drive pumps Um, will not pump air. And we've devised a rather neat way of doing that, which um, we we may be taking some intellectual protection on, so I'm not going to tell you how we do it. (laughs) It's it's quite neat. And... Hmm. um, it means that um, once you've installed it, you shouldn't have to worry ever about air getting into the system. It will it will purge itself of air, and um, so then, as you said, it's an external heater at the moment with a pump and a filter. The use at home one would be quite smaller, I think, than a commercial unit because we we one of the great joys. Is that we don't have to worry about CDC because <laughs> right. uh, we can just make something that works and is safe that we regard as safe, and um, no
0: one's going to come and tell the home operator that that doesn't work. Um, can I ask about the walls themselves? Can, yeah, sure. I just, I'm just, I can't stop trying to imagine what's inside those walls because they were so strong.
1: Well, the. The cleverness there is in the weave. It's it's a kind of drop stitch, which means you have a weaving machine, which is weaving a very strong uh, terrylene-type cord, and it weaves simultaneously two pieces of fabric. But as it weaves, it drops a stitch between those two every so often so that there is a whole forest of little stalks joining the two skins together all in fabric, all in the same fabric.
0: And that's running parallel to the ground as it's stitching. Like they're running... Yeah, that's right.
1: So that you end up with two continuous fabrics, like a curtain fabric, and they're joined by constant length filaments between them. So when you inflate it, well, first of all, then you you impregnate the the fabric with a plastic, which makes it airproof. And probably laminated up. And this has been done for those very high-end surfboards that you can roll up and then you inflate and they go absolutely rigid and yes. they're brilliant, and but of course they're flat. Yeah. The clever thing we've done is make it curved. Cool. Yeah. Flat's easy, curved's difficult. So um, when you put air into it, and as uh, normally you'd think of an inflatable product, actually the air pressure inside is very small, like a balloon, I mean, you can easily blow it up. There's a few inches of water pressure. We're putting an atmosphere that's 30 foot of water pressure, which is a lot of pressure. And that stuff, all those little fibres are stretched really tight. like that. And there's lots of them. There's a forest of them. It's automatically insulated, of course. It's, a, it's got an air layer in between, mm-hmm. which can't travel easily around because of all these fibres. So it's mm-hmm. an insulating material inherently, super strong, And yet you can take the air out of it, roll it up and put it in a sports bag and take it to your next (laughs) venue. So we we see lots of temporary use rental model um, or the person and a van who can make a business of having a couple of those and a container of solution in their truck. Mm -hmm. And they can drive to a sports team. They can drive to a person's house. They can drive to a hospice, Mm -hmm. wherever they want to go. Put the t- within once it's working really well, within minutes that would be ready to float. And that can be for hours, days, weeks, or months, and that when it's finished with, you take the air out, pump the solution back into your big container, drive away. That's they you can't do that with a fiberglass tank.
0: now does does that compact size include? Oh, the pumps and
1: things? No, the technical pack is, well, for home use, the technical pack is not going to be like a suitcase, small suitcase. So in addition to the sports bag carrying your actual inflatable pool, you've got a case which is your full technical pack. Then you've got to have uh, quite a lot of salt. But if that comes as ready-made solution, which is a model that we'd like to see, that you can drive around with the solution in a heated container and straight in and it's running, it works.
0: And have you have you tested the the long term durability of this fabric on absolutely on not. salt water?
1: Absolutely not. Uh, I'm, what okay, we have,
0: my assumption is that it'll be okay because we have all these you know inflatable stand up paddle boards, um, etc. And they work those, pretty those well. seem to be doing just there, fine. There
1: right? is no theoretical reason that we can think of why it would not have a very decent su- uh, life. You know, years and years. There's no. I don't see any reason why uh, Epsom salt solution we're including the disinfectants that we've been talking about and we're used to. I don't think any of them will cause deterioration. Mm. Uh, but fair question, of course, we've only just made the thing. Mm. Um, what we, We're we not selling them right now. We brought them to the show to see what people thought. Mm. We had fantastic reaction. Yes. I mean, people want this thing. Cool. And... We're now going to do all those things. We're going to float mm. in it, of course. We're going to watch what happens for cleaning the product to make sure it's oh, easy it's to clean. Yeah. We're making sure that um, there isn't any obvious degradation. We'll, we'll do kind of uh, severity tests with, with everything we can think of that might get put into it, including the chlorine. Chlorine is probably the most aggressive thing we could do. Mm. Uh, but we've been using chlorine with the same kind of um, materials, Uh, flexible Uh, they're not simple pvcs they're uh, highly polymerized pvcs so they're very strong fabrics just like used on surfboards and they can take salt water and i i I can't see that they would have any immediate reason why would it wouldn't work but we'll we'll have to test it and then we'll offer it for sale and then our customers will test it and if we Mm we'll obviously have to grow organically into checking all those features out because we really do believe in product development. You don't always get things right first time, sure. but we're always committed to putting everything right as it happens.
0: Is anything I've learned about your company is you are gonna continually innovate and improve on the product? Well, that's
1: actually the only thing we're interested in. I mean, as you can tell, you know, I don't care about people. I only wanna make the products right. <laughs> but the, um, uh, so I mean, I think we're guilty of trying to have too many products we do too much. But this is a very <laughs> exciting development. I, I think it's going to, several people have said, you know, this is a game changer. This is mm. how all new
0: markets. How exciting. Congratulations. I think it's exciting. And thank you very much for giving me the chance to talk about it. Absolutely. Is there anything else you want to share before we wrap up this episode?
1: Well, I'd just like to share that I really enjoyed the conference, probably more than any conference before. We've, the Float family, of people that we know really quite well now. It's so rewarding. I mean, it's such a lovely business to be in and uh,
0: we love every minute of it. Lovely. I would echo that sentiment. Lovely. Thank you again. Okay. Thank you. Again, that was part two of our interview with Colin Stanwell Smith. Thank you so much to Colin, uh, to Jenny for allowing him to steal him away for over an hour. And uh, of course to float away. Thank you guys so much. Uh, I think, the only things I'd like to just wrap up with is, as always, um, oh, Anna is now, Anna is an employee at the float shop, is taking over show notes. Uh, sometimes I'm oscillating between Emily and Anna. Now it is official. Anna is taking over uh, the show notes. So thank you, Anna, so much. And Emily, thank you so much for, gosh, year, year and a half of of doing show notes. Really genuinely appreciate that. And uh, beyond that, um, thanks to everybody who's supporting us on Amazon. Uh, If you go to the products page, one of the first things you'll see is a link to Amazon. If you bookmark that, anytime that you go shopping, it helps support us. So thank you so much. Really appreciate that. Uh, Patreon supporters, we really appreciate you guys as well. Um, At the $10 level or higher, you're getting royalty-free photos that you can use for any blog posts that you write, any... um, Any social media posts, uh, it's nice just to have this grab bag go in there. And I've been using it now, so I'm uh, going in there and... Uh, grabbing an image and using it for a blog post, like what looks like somebody maybe dealing with stress here. Where's one where she's not just super happy and smiling or where's one where he is really super happy and smiling and grabbing that and making it the blog post picture. It's really nice to have kind of this original content that people haven't seen over and over and over again. And we'll just keep uh, releasing these every month. Sometimes there's two a month, little, little bonus sets. And uh, yeah, it's been fun. And I love that I'm utilizing it as well. Uh, patreon.com forward slash art of the float is where you want to go to check that out. Also, I should mention that we're available for consulting as well. If you'd like some assistance in setting up your business, um, planning your business, the ideas of soundproofing, construction, all that stuff. If it seems a little overwhelming and you'd like some one-on-one guidance for your situation, I recommend consulting to everybody. If it's me, I think that's awesome, but I encourage everybody who's starting a float center to have somebody, uh, helping, if not guide them through it, hold their hand a little bit and, and, uh, go through it with the insights that other people have had through opening their float center. And, uh, I think that's about it. So I guess I should say, remember there's an infinite amount to find in the presence of nothing. So spend some time there. We'll see you next week.